Well, boomers, tonight we have the privilege of talking with Reverend Mimi Monroe. And Mimi is a friend of mine, as well as an amazing person in her own right. So, Mimi, is that is do I have your title correct? Is it Reverend Mimi Monroe? Yes, it's actually Reverend Doctor. I got my doctorate last uh, couple of years ago, right before COVID. So I uh, wrote a dissertation, and here we are. Okay. Well, I'd like to start with um, having you tell us about how you ended up becoming a minister. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it was a lifelong journey, honestly. I had a very good friend who was in seminary, and he was telling me, you have to go to seminary and become a minister. And my gut response was, no way ever. (laughs) And then I went to his ordination, and it was such a beautiful experience. I thought, okay, maybe this is something I could do. I think actually I've probably been some form of a minister all my life. I'm the person people came to and poured out their hearts when we were younger. I always had a pocketbook full of bubble gum when I was a teenager to hand out to everybody. Um, So it was kind of a natural extension, but I was raised without religion at all. And you weren't raised in a Christian home then. I was not raised with any, my, our religion in my household was Marxism, Freudian, Freudianism, and communism. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, atheism. That was the third one. Yeah. That's a different story than we often hear from clergy. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And I think I tried very hard all my life to be an atheist, to please my father, to please my husband, but I'm not one. Uh, And I don't know that I believe in God in any traditional way, just because of my unusual upbringing. Uh, For me, there's, we are all one. That to me is one of the many expressions of God. And so it's, to me, it's not a, a, a white bearded guy who sits somewhere in the heavens. Though that may happen too. I don't know. We shall see, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as an interfaith minister, I entertain the possibility of everything and anything and nothing. There's even room for that. So, um, yeah. Well, well, tell us a little about um, what it takes to become an interfaith pastor? Yeah. Well, in my case, they teased me a lot because I was the atheist minister in training. Um, but it, there's, um, for it's a little different, I believe, than, a, say, a Christian structured seminary or a Muslim path or becoming a rabbi in that you're not focusing on one faith. So when I went, which was 17 years ago, or yeah, 20 years ago almost. They what we did was we read. We read about all the world religions. We read some books about self-discovery because any any minister in any faith needs to do a lot of inner searching. Uh, and the reason that I understand is because if someone comes to us for counseling, what we don't want to do is put our stuff on them. So we want to be a very clean slate, which is not something that happens easily or automatically. So that was the hardest part of the work and continues to be something. It's not like one day you wake up and you're a clean slate. Uh, 
it's an ongoing journey. So we also had people come from different faiths and give us talks about each faith and different aspects of different faiths too. We were required to go visit different faith centers and have conversations with the leaders of those organizations and try to understand what was similar between them and other things we were looking at and what was different and where we fit in that spectrum. And did you find a common thread that runs through most of those religions? Yes, I believe, and I may be wrong, that almost all of them believe in a supreme being or way of being. So there's something greater than us as individual humans, and that 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 there are moral behaviors that one has to choose. It's always choice. And they're mostly do good, love, help your neighbor, be supportive. Uh, and that pretty much sums it up. It, the way people approach it in different faiths is different. And there's a lot of, I'm sorry to say, hypocrisy in all of them. <laughs> so, you know, it's part of being human. Well, and part of probably part of being a person of faith is you fail. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> but that comes back too to that question of uh, what's not clear in me? Where am I not a clear vessel for listening, for hearing? That doesn't take away my individuality when in my own private life, I can think, do whatever, you know, whatever I want. But one of the things that I have really worked hard to do is put into alignment what, what shows up in the world from me and who I am inside. So I mm -hmm. think that, you know, we all have an, a self image that we project out, right? Right. So my question has been for years, how much does my self-image match other people's experience of who I am? And it's interesting how often it doesn't, uh, but it's also, that's where you learn. Mm -hmm. And there is a point at which one has to say, okay, that's your perception of me. And I, I'm not here to convince anybody that I am who I say I am. That's not my job either. But to be aware oh, for this person, I'm not X, Y, Z. I think you know from the landmark work, right? There's a point where you go and you interview people about yourself. Yes. Who do you say I am? Yes. It's old, an old uh, question Jesus asked. Yes, indeed. Who do you say I am? And um, so if you were going to ask me that question, I would say who you are is a source of joy, that you are kindness always. I've never seen you be unkind. Thank and, you. And, and who I get to be around you is a spiritual person who's, who is, continues to grow. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say that not everybody I interviewed saw me that way. <laughs> of course, it was 10 years ago, but I did interview my ex-husband by deliberate choice. And when I asked him the set of questions, he, he laughed and said, are you sure you want me to answer these? And I said, yes. So 
it was very interesting because what came out in that conversation gave me a chance to realize where I had failed in that relationship. And, you know, whereas I think there was a lot of blame, right? We both blamed each other for the failures that were there. And what I got to do was say, okay, this is how I showed up for him. And it wasn't who I want to be as a human being. And I got to apologize. And that was the beginning of a better relationship with him. Whether or not he ever feels like he can apologize, I don't need him to. I need to be the best me. But I, I'm not holding him to a standard. He has his own standard and he can hold himself to that. That's really inspiring. I mean, a lot of us have former spouses and uh, significant others that have, you know, where things failed, but they never got cleaned up. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd also like to hear a little about what you're studying now. My understanding is you've gone back to school again. Yes, I'm in a spiritual coaching and directorship master's program, also with the same interfaith seminary. And uh, it's really very interesting. It's a smaller class. So I think when I was in seminary in 2003, there were over 100 of us that started out. Not everybody ended up getting ordained. It's a lot of inner work, again. Uh, and there were papers to write and all of the things that one does in school, you know. Uh, we were really held accountable then. So this is a smaller group of about 40 people. And everybody comes from their own background, whatever it is. And there's not always agreement, but there's always discussion and open discussion and um, a willingness to hear who that other, who each other are in the process of our, our growth. And there are people in, in the regular ordination process. There are people in the doc, doctoral program and there are people in the program that I am in as well. And then uh, what kind of credentials do you get at the end of these programs? So my doctorate and my is, is a degree. It's a degree doctorate. It's not a PhD though. It's a, a seminary doctorate. I have a certificate as a minister, a ministry uh, certificate, and I'll have a master's in spiritual coaching and directorship. I already have a master's degree in music, so this will be another one. So, <laughs> Well, I do want to talk to you about music also. Okay. But um, uh, just to sort of round out this part of the conversation, um, so so when you have these certificates and degrees, what does um what then what can you do? Do you do weddings and funerals or lead Bible studies or what what kind of things do you do? Yeah, any of that, all of that. Uh, I would be qualified mostly. I would say to uh, a preference would be to marry people of different faiths or people who don't belong to a faith tradition but want a spiritual union. I've done memorial services. I've done uh, house service, you know, home blessing services. Uh, I did my stepmother's funeral, which was perhaps one of the most memorable experiences I've had as a minister. And a lot of listening. I do a lot of listening. (laughs) And helping people to see themselves in a light that helps them through whatever their current apparent obstacle is or challenge mm-hmm. in their life. I uh, seem to draw people to me who have challenges and 
it's I don't feel like they're broken. I, I, there's nothing to be fixed. They're just somebody who is in a place where they need a little love and guidance and maybe a different point of view. Because when we're in a place of pain, it's very hard to see beyond the pain. Right. Well, love, guidance, and a different point of view could make all the difference. Yeah, I am currently in touch with someone, a friend on Facebook who just lost a baby. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I lost a baby when I before I even entered deliberately on a spiritual path. And I know what it was like for me. It was terrible. It was maybe the worst experience of my life. And there wasn't a lot of good conversation happening at that time about death. And we didn't talk about baby deaths a lot. There was uh, on Children and Dying by Elizabeth Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, which just made me cry all the more when I read about other people's losses. Uh, It wasn't very helpful for me at that time. So I reached out to her just to say, you're not alone. And uh, it's okay to feel what you feel. Because I know I got a lot of platitudes when my daughter died. It's God's will. Um, and what were the other ones? Uh, I felt like I must have done something terrible to deserve that experience. So I wanted uh. to reassure her that it wasn't, she was not to blame, that it wasn't her fault. And right. Yeah. And it wasn't my fault, but I was in a different place in my life. And I think that's what we do when things go badly wrong in our lives is we blame ourselves. Right. Right. Well, you know, mostly people blame themselves or they blame God. Or other people. Well, yes, I guess that's right, too. And many marriages uh, end if a child dies. Yeah. It's just overwhelming. And there's so much blame, shame and guilt. It's very difficult to move forward. And the pain, you know, the pain of loss, it's it's just unfathomable. You know, it's so deep. And so ha- being able to to talk about that with someone, it's it was much harder then, I will say. It was over 35 years ago. Um, so I just felt like I needed to reach out to her. But that's the kind of thing that I feel capable of doing. And you know, I don't think that blaming anybody is a valuable thing. I mean, I know it's something we all do as human beings. But for me, as somebody had said to me one time, you've, I don't know if you've had this experience of growth, that you really work hard on something and you have a huge breakthrough and things are going well for a while. And then all of a sudden that same thing comes up and you're back in the in the pit. <laughs> and And in my past, I've just gone, I did this work. What's going on? I have to, why do I have to do this again? You know, so this person works with children who are adolescents who are very troubled and that most people have given up on. Mm-hmm. And the way he put it was, every time it comes up, it means that you've healed at a deeper level and you're ready to take the healing further. And ever since he said that, when that stuff comes up and I'm feeling that agitation or pain or sadness, I just stop and say, oh, goody, I have a chance to go deeper and heal this further. (laughs) And that's transformed my life. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And if you can say, oh, goody, it's even more wonderful. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, there's a little sarcasm in there too, of course. Oh, goody, you know, but there's also, I mean, I mean it. I want to grow. It's a commitment. It's a choice. And there are times when I wish I didn't have to, you know, that saying, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. My response is, please think I can handle less, you know, (laughs) but but whatever is going to happen happens. And then we get to face it. And I think the way we face it in large measure determines the outcome, not necessarily the results, but the outcome of the way we live the rest of our lives. Yes. We can live in anger and hatred and blame and despair. Or we can live in curiosity. I wonder what will happen next. Hmm. Yeah, that's not too hard of a choice. <laughs> but it can be. But very hard. Yes. Well, I recently was in a personal growth seminar where we talked about our regrets and our resentments. And either one requires forgiveness, a willingness to let it go and be free of it. And there are some things that happen to us in life that are hard to let go of. That's the truth. Yes. Well, Mimi, if people wanted to to contact you for spiritual counseling or a wedding or a funeral, how would they get in touch with you? I guess the best thing would be through email. It's R-E-V, like Reverend, just R-E-V, underscore Mimi, M-I-M-I, underscore Kate, K-A-T-E, which is part of my first name, at yahoo.com. So Rev underscore Mimi underscore Kate at yahoo.com. Okay, great. Mimi, just be, you know, before we wrap up this part, I'd uh, I'd like to just uh, talk about music for a minute and music as an access to the spiritual. Mm-hmm. So I love it that we sing in the choir together. Um, and it makes a difference. You know, it's like I just see every Sunday the difference it makes that there are people willing to share their gifts as an access for other people Mm -hmm. to the spiritual. And particularly, I appreciate your vocal gifts. Um, Can you just say a little about that? Sure. Well, I've been singing as long as I can remember, maybe not always well or in tune, uh, but I wanted to be a singer. Yeah, I think when I was 10, I asked my mother, can I get voice lessons? And she was very good about providing me with lessons for whatever I was interested in. But she did some research and it apparently at that time, the recommendation was not to study voice until your voice changed. So I didn't get voice lessons at that time because she got very ill and died. So I didn't start studying voice till I was in college and it was an elective and I was taking it for fun. I just loved it. It was hard work for me because I, my voice was very light and high and sweet. 
And my teachers wanted me to sing classical songs, and I wasn't interested in them very much at the time. But I kept plugging away, and I just kept singing. And I, they opened up a program in liberal arts with a music emphasis. I entered that as a piano major. I am not a good pianist. Uh, but voice was always my love. And I've played guitar and sung since I was about nine. So little by little, I got the training to do all of it. And at one point, I was very shy about it. I mean, I did a lot of auditioning and nothing happened. It just wasn't the thing. I, I worked, I was an early music singer in graduate school. I sang a lot of Renaissance and Baroque music. And when I went out in the world and started auditioning for Renaissance and Baroque ensembles, they told me my voice was too big and I should be singing opera. So ah. I did an about face and I'm, I'm, I love opera, but it's not my first love. I love Renaissance music. To me, it's just, and Baroque, uh, the earlier, not, I've learned to love chant too, but Renaissance and Baroque music are a passion. And to the point where anytime I hear it, or even as a, as a teenager, I would get in someone's car, they'd be playing lute music. I'd go, what is that? I have to know what that is, you know? And I ended up uh, busking through Europe with a friend who played lute. We sang in every city we went to, or performed, he played, and I sang. Uh, it went through our whole repertoire several times. <laughs> we had about three hours worth of music between us without amplification. So we'd have to find a place with good enough sound. And then uh, I felt very uh, shy about it, but I was in an energy healing program when I was at the same time I was in seminary. And one of the things I learned about gifts is that we are given gifts. Everybody has some kind of gift, but if yes. we don't give our gifts, we're cheating people of our gifts. We're cheating ourselves of our gifts that gifts are given to us to give to others. I might even say as a source of joy. Absolutely. Yes. And it's, and it's not an easy road, any gift. I and mean, there's work involved. I've studied voice most of my life. Well, since I was 20, I've had periods where I haven't had a teacher, but where I've been teaching. So I'm learning by teaching. How do I do that? You know, <laughs> um, and it is it for me, singing is something that's a birthright that everyone needs to do, whether they're good at it or not, uh, whether they ever sing in public or not. It's it's such a gift to be able to exp to express through the voice. And this is the, this area, the throat chakra. Um, I'm going to call it the throat chakra, but the throat, as you probably know, as your listeners probably know, whenever we get really sad, it shuts down, right? It just locks up. And there's this, this, this something that wants to erupt through tears, but we often just push it down. But there's that feeling, that welling up of tightness and tenderness and this desire to cry. Well, I've, my experience has been that that's the moment of breakthrough for most yeah. of us. If we allow ourselves to just sob, just let it out, just there's something beyond that that's really beautiful. And I've um, seen it in every single voice student, and I've experienced it way more than once. <laughs> or I'm up against something emotional in my life or in singing where I can't get to the next level of expression and I just break down and something moves really big. <laughs> I've seen it a lot with teenagers, it's so beautiful. Uh, it's hard, you know, because they're so, you know, I'm not going to show my 
my my inner self. You know, I had a young man come to me. He was 13 and he sobbed in the first lesson. He said, I don't know why I'm crying. I said, it's just wonderful. Just do it. It's welcome. Here's the dishes. And after that, uh-huh. he got every role he auditioned for. So, you know, <laughs> there's really something to it. You know, one of the things I notice is that there's not there's not so much live music in our culture these days, but we do expect it at weddings. There's almost always music and a soloist of some kind and funerals. Mm-hmm. There is music. And of course, we always sing happy birthday. Right. So I, I just, I love music. I, I love to have the opportunity to sing with the group, especially, or to sing a solo in church. Um, and I find that it moves me too. That it's, uh, that there is a spiritual connection. Absolutely. In just in the simple physicalness of singing and wanting to express something that the people who are there will be touched by. Uh, I think that there's a spiritual connection in everything, everything, if we, if we open ourselves to it. The simplest thing, picking up some trash from the sidewalk, petting your cat or your dog, buying a gift for your grandchildren, whatever, whatever we do, spirit is in it if we allow it. And even if we don't, it's there anyway. We just are not experiencing it. Oh, Mimi, thank you so much. I think on that note, we'll bring this to close. Great. Thank Thank you you so much. much for being with us. I'm so honored. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Hi, boomers. Welcome back. I so much enjoy my conversations with Mimi. She uh, has such a depth of spirit. And I admire her commitment to making spirit and the spiritual life and spiritual um, connection be available to everybody, whether you're a religious person or not. So an interfaith pastor like Mimi is someone to go to if you're not involved in religion, but you want a spiritual component to your weddings or your funerals, or you need somebody to talk to. Also, I just want to uh, lift up the component of music as a spiritual access. And maybe it could be part of your spiritual journey. I'd be delighted to hear what you discover. Well, that's it for tonight. We'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye.